Funding for Two True Freaks is provided through generous donations by listeners like you. This month, thank yous go out to J. David Weeder, Christopher McGee, who doesn't make me angry, Brian Catcher, Biblio Mike Poteet, and Brianna Ahern. Thank you one and all for your very, very generous uh, contributions to the show. And keep them coming, guys, because it literally keeps the lights on here at Two True Freaks. A girl gave us money. (laughs) And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 49. 49er. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-freak, Scott Gardner. Help out a 49er. Yes, I'm just is a minor 49er. <laughs> oh my god, I haven't heard that song in forever. <laughs> How's it going, freak? Not bad, not bad. Um, Yeah. It's been, uh, we've been having a lot of fun here at Demanza Corp. We had mm-hmm. Uncle Randy on recently, and yes. it's just, we've been putting out a ton of podcasts, and we've run our bandwidth out and had people bail us out so we could put out extra, tons of extra stuff, and there's people making stuff for us and giving us stuff. It's just been going great. Two words. David Michelini. That's all I got to say. If you didn't oh hear God. last Star Wars Monthly Monday, go back, give it a listen to, because uh, yeah, we had him on and it was awesome. Although, all of the feedback was about us singing that stupid song from Smokey and the Bandit. The, part- down. <laughs> the portion of the show I was most proud of was actually the David Michelini interview that we scored. But uh, it's actually the interview with questions and talking about yeah Star Wars related stuff instead of yeah. Well, you know, people love that pop culture. I guess. I guess so. I guess we I, just need to start singing more often or something. Maybe. Uh, uh, I heard somebody on an, on another pod, like one of those uh, comedian based podcasts, break out that song. Like they started singing it. But they did it to denote that the person that they were singing, you know, that they were talking about was a real redneck. So it was sort of just like that meant. Re- I don't think of that song as being especially redneck. I think of it just as being like Burt Reynolds' car chase 
movie. It's country sounding, but I mean, I kind of do now. But when I was a kid, I don't think I were really made that connection. But now, yeah, it kind of kind of takes me back to my exiled in Georgia days. Yeah, maybe you guys can write us and tell us what it is about hearing our horrible singing. I know voices. that's the thing is I the, don't the, think I have a so good exciting. singing voice at all. So uh, yeah. People get all excited when Michael Bailey sings too. I always notice that that, that like it's always noted and and uh regaled when when you know he sings you know, when somebody it's, it's, it's just a strange thing. I think oh. the thing with him, though, is it, what he's got working for him is the memory thing, you know, because he remembers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his memory is sharp as a tack, whereas, you know, I mean, my rendition of, of that song. What is that? What's the name of it? He's pounding down. Oh, okay, because that's all right. Go to down and trucking. Well, see, that's the thing is, I didn't even know the words. I mean, I I knew a couple of lines, and then I was, you know, doing that faking it thing. We got a long way to go in a short time to get there. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, a lot. Can you remember that the line after that? That's that movie a million times. Yeah, that's the that's as much as I can remember. I can't even remember the next line. Something about watch. We're going to get from down. Yeah. So we've just made well, some, everybody's show right there by doing yeah. stupid shit. Someday we'll just give them more than they ever would want, and I'll sing like all of Paradise by the Dashboard Light or something, you know? I th- Ain't no doubt about it. We were doubly blessed. We were barely 17. We were barely dressed. We're going to go all the way at night. We're going to go all the way at night, night. What song is that? Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Have you... You have never. Have you ever seen? Well, you know, it, might, it might have things, been right? for your rendition too, yeah. but I, you got me on that one. But so what, if, if, if it keeps lonely in the deep dark night, I can see paradise by the dashboard light. It's about teenagers getting lucky. You know, I heard a cat get strangled once, and. Uh, yeah, it's meatloaf. <laughs> it's a meatloaf song. Um, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, but you know, it just occurs to me that if things like this continue to happen, then uh, I, I think there's a real distinct possibility that we'll continue to put out shows that are called Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, whatever. But I don't think I'm going to bother to do like any prep or even talk about those subjects. We'll just start singing stupid songs and talking about whatever the hell, because those are always the segments. Exactly. <laughs> it's never the stuff that I work so hard on. It's yeah. always we'll, sing, we'll just sing old, old, stupid, <laughs> you know, jingles from from the pe- nobody would remember that is in our age that lived right on the Canadian border. Like, Loblaws isn't satisfied. Loblaws <laughs> isn't satisfied. Loblaws isn't satisfied. Till they satisfy you. Which is pretty rude if you think about it. Pumpkin, don't but I pretty friendly. Can't buy them in a grocery store. store. <laughs> can't buy them in a bakery. <laughs> can't buy them in a restaurant. You gotta get them at all right, so <clears throat> what the hell are we talking about anyway? Well, oh, you had something that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, well, I was just going to say there's been, now that Disney has acquired the Star Wars name, it seems, every week there's just a new piece of news dribbled out that starts out as a rumor and then is quickly confirmed. Yes. You know, within a day or two, and the latest one you know, has been uh, the standalone movies, that there are... St- 
at, at this point, there's two confirmed. But they're saying, I've heard, like, there's been, like, five being kicked around. With really, it seems like almost an, in, you know, possibility for however many they think they could get away with. But there's... I'm going to blow your mind on this subject. Because Go for holding, it. holding in my hand, Ooh. I have the, oh, I, I the letters that oh. was sent out by Mr. Bob Iger, who is the head of the uh, Walt Disney Corporation. This was uh, talking about the first quarter earnings. There was an excerpt here that just says in uh, Q1, quarter one, Lucasfilm officially became part of the Walt Disney Company, and we're moving forward with the extraordinary Star Wars franchise across our portfolio of businesses. We're excited about the tremendous opportunity ahead, starting with Star Wars Episode Seven, which will be in theaters in 2015. I'm especially happy to have J.J. Abrams directing our first feature film in the franchise, given our long, successful relationship with J.J. during the production of our ABC hits Alias and Lost. I'm happy we're working with him again to take the Star Wars saga forward. And it goes on to talk about all kinds of other exciting things coming up this year, including like uh, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, which I'm really looking forward to, Iron Man 3, um, the new Thor movie, stuff like that. But in addition to that, I have a scoop for the listeners. Through my sources, I have actually uncovered... Uh-oh. The secret story of the standalone Yoda movie. Oh. This is a two true freaks exclusive. You heard do you want me to do you want me to first. after do you want me to act it out after like act it out afterwards in, in shitty Yoda voice <laughs> or while you're doing it's it? It's just as simple as this. Mm. So it turns out that Yoda actually had this brother who was oh. a giant and his name was Adoy. <laughs> Please let it be true. <laughs> After all these years, let them be right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome, though? Dude, I have been, and you, I've been vulturing that magazine on eBay ever since. Mm hmm. Ever since I was riding on the bus down to Celebration Six, and I and somebody posted up the picture of it, mm -hmm. that sort of got my lasers focused on it. And I still haven't gotten an affordable copy, but someday, I I sort of want to get every issue of that magazine because right. it looks like it's going to turn out to be the weekly world news of, yeah, you know, sci-fi fantasy things something that we thought was stupid as a kid but now can totally just like read and probably laugh our asses off in mm -hmm. full appreciation of mm -hmm. so but that that's why their price go for so much money on on ebay but you know i i am not totally unconvinced that something like that couldn't happen because as we get into our issues this this month when we get into our indiana jones I'm going to put up a little argument. I, I got a little something that I don't want to ruin it. So I'm not, okay. I'll, I will say no more at this point. I was asked recently by, uh, by our friend, uh, uh, Biblio Mike Petit, um, about Star Wars at work, you know, Star Wars at Disney. Have I begun to see anything there yet? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the short answer is no, not really, but it's, it's a little earlier. I mean, the deal literally just got finalized. Um, however, I don't think that they're going to waste any time. Um, something that I look at uh, every day is as part of our... That's an expensive acquisition. You oh, gotta yes. Get, you got to get cracking on that, you know? Oh, absolutely. 
you know, as part of our intranet at work, something that I look at every workday is uh, we have a trivia site. And it's just, it's like a daily trivia question about, it can be literally any facet of Disney history. It can be about the parks, it can be about the feature films, it can be about the animated side, it can be about characters, anything like that. For the first time, it was a Star Wars question. Now, we've had Star Tours questions before, but never to my knowledge, a Star Wars question. And this was related to The Empire Strikes Back. And I just thought that was awesome. It was like a little celebration of... You know, it's official. The deal has gone through. And I thought that was really cool because they did something very similar when the Marvel deal went through. All of a sudden we started to get or sometimes when the Marvel movies hit, like when Avengers hit, we had a string of uh, of Avengers questions for like a week. I just think it's awesome. So I have no doubt that, you know, they're going to hit the ground running with this acquisition and it will not be long at all. And we'll, I mean, star Wars already has a great presence there anyway, which I'm, I, I don't know that a lot of people are aware of, you know, not only is there star tours, the attraction, but I mean, you know, there's star Wars t-shirts and merchandise and, and things like that. I think it's just going to explode. I, I think it's really going to be huge and there's nothing to stop them. There's, there's no, no pre-existing deals like, you know, was going on with the Marvel properties with other parks or anything like that. I mean, they oh, outright it's, it's own lock, Star lock, Wars. Stock and barrel. Yep. Ready so, to go. Yeah, I'm yeah, excited. ready. And it's um, not just Star Wars. It's also indie, which, you know, I, I, I feel like kind of gets ignored or, you know, not not ignored, but just not mentioned as often as the Star Wars. It's, it's all of Lucasfilm. So I'm excited about the whole schmeal, Indie, man. as far as indie goes, I think indie's got one more movie maybe if they want to do it they got to get Harrison Ford right now mm-hmm. and do it to do a, a traditional Harrison Ford indie movie i think there's one more but then there's all you know that you could still there's still even though he's dead the you know they could find someone else to do young indiana jones adventures Jeez, i would just want to see world war 2 indiana jones adventures i think there's great potential awesome. in indiana jones as like an animated series mm-hmm. or something and mm-hmm. i'm not By talking about the guys about the who computers. did clone wars or yeah, something yeah cl- yeah clone wars stuff because i tell you i think there's only ever been one but there was one of those indiana jones um, adventures digest size books that was done in the style of like Clone yeah. Wars adventures and Star Wars adventures. It was, adventures. It was fantastic, man. It was really, really good. And it was perfectly accessible for both the adult Indiana Jones fan who grew up with this stuff and like, say like an eight year old kid, you know, just and it was compatible with the style of Indiana mm-hmm. Jones stories too. It and, was great. You know, yeah. I mean, if they did something like that or if they did, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard, Steven Spielberg's Tintin movie was basically an Indiana Jones movie, was, you know, like a Raiders movie, except, you know, taking full advantage of the, of not as much like the, what you could do with the CG, because it's not a fantastical world. It's like, right. you know, real people and stuff. They're, they're caricatured and stuff, but as far as like moving the camera from one place and following action, you know, through a whole town where you don't have to rig the cameras up on, on tracks and stuff. And I heard it was spectacular. I keep so meaning if to... they did Indiana Jones, like a full movie version like mm-hmm. that. The only problem with that though, is that I find as sophisticated as, as it's become, I still find that motion capture CGI look kind of, kind of creepy. So I would really rather it be 
well, you know, yeah, animated. But, you know, I, do it I, animated I, like in the Clone Wars style, but mm-hmm. Indiana Jones style. But I mean, if you did it with, I mean, you could do something. You could do Clone Wars like a weekly Indiana Jones TV show. But imagine if you really put like the Tintin time and effort into it and made a full length movie like that. Would be. It could, could work. Could be spectacular. It could work. Yeah. I would love to see, like you said, you know, the World War II adventures of Indiana Jones. I think would be really, really, you know, the wartime adventures. I think could. It be would phenomenal. be hard because, like, young Indiana Jones. Yeah, you can get an actor to play him when he was a kid or a teenager or maybe like you know, nineteen, twenty years old. But World War Two, you're you're looking at you know we've seen the we've seen the indie of pre World War Two and post-World War II now, so getting someone else to play him would be really tough because it would be like Harrison Ford. That, that, that ship sailed for Harrison Ford 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, well, that's what I'm saying. It would have, you know, that's why would I think animation be. would oh, be yeah. really good. That's what I'm saying. Not, oh, not, not live yeah. action, not live action, but animated. But I think you could pull it off, and you didn't, wouldn't necessarily need Harrison Ford because look at that... Uh, now, granted, actor. it was a short, you know, it was only like, what, like seven minutes long, but that that uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca short that those guys did, you know, I mean, they now, there's, perfectly there's, nailed Harrison Ford in that. There's plenty of people who could do do a voice acting impression of him good enough to do a, you know, I've, I've heard plenty of people do their impressions of Harrison Ford, you know, whether for comedy or not, you know, but right. you could find somebody who could do it seriously and... And probably get away with it. Oh man, I would love that. But I think yeah, that would be awesome. So I, I guess the, the two standalones that are confirmed are Yoda, or was it? No, it wasn't a Yoda. Yoda's sort of a rumored one, but it was Boba Fett and Young Han Solo. Are they which, actually confirmed though? That's the those. Thing. Those are the two. I think that they're they've pretty much said that those were ones. Now confirmed might mean. That somebody's writing up a treatment for him, right. or has optioned optioned out an idea or something, which means, you know, that doesn't. But I've been finding with Disney, the way Disney's been doing this is once you you hear something is a like right now the Yoda one is like the more squishy rumor, whereas the Boba Fett and young young Han Solo are more gelled and solidified rumors to the point of where it looks like they're going to happen and the standalone part is is a definite confirmed you know written in stone that's they've said they're going to do it but i would not doubt that there would be a yoda standalone movie because why not what's stopping yeah yeah absolutely and it's that you know it's it could, this could be the golden age. This could be the beginning of Star Wars. I was thinking that the other day. This could be like in the future when they look back on Star Wars, they'll be like the creation of Star Wars, which will be the first six movies. And then they'll be the beginning of Star Wars where it becomes just part of, even more part of our you know universe. It becomes more entrenched in it because... Now it's that to that point where some where you and I could go. Not that we would be successful, but we wouldn't be delusional by going. Let's come up with a Star Wars script and mail it to Disney. You mm-hmm. know, 
at least there's somewhere you could mail a Star Wars script to that doesn't have an episode number on it. I mean, we could have we could have said, "Hey, we wrote a Star Wars script and mailed it to Lucasfilm," and it would have just been a hilarious joke, you know? Right? Uh, <laughs> you know, there's no way it would have ever been made into a movie or anything because there were just no plans of it now. But now that possibility is is there, you know? So now you have a possibility of all kinds of people who may have wanted to get a crack at a Star Wars film to get a crack at it. And there might be some of them like Spielberg who, who may not want to do like episode seven, eight or nine, which is sort of a hot potato. But if he got a chance to do his own little story, you know, something that he was really into that, that he could just sort of come up with his own idea with, you might start seeing stuff like that for better or worse. We might see some really horrible star Wars movies or, or Star Wars movies by people we wouldn't want to do them, but they'll just be one of many, you know? I'm really I, looking forward to this. I, I am, too. I, I think, you know, to my mind, this is an outgrowth of something I heard a while back where it was Joe Johnston who did, uh, you know, The Rocketeer and Captain America, The First Avenger. He really said that he was crack. Yeah, Boba he Fett. said that he wanted to do a Boba Fett film, and at the time, everybody was kind of like, "Well, that that'll never that's, happen." That's, you know, they yeah, don't that, do standalone nice, movies, yeah. and, and here, here, all of a sudden, it's it's been announced. So, well, I, I remember was, we I, were like, "That would be awesome," but <laughs> fat right. chance, you exactly. Know. And now there actually is a, a very good possibility. I think that would be great. Plus, you know, I've heard. You know, beyond uh, young Han Solo and Boba Fett and Yoda, I've heard a, a number of, of characters bandied about. One of them that uh, kind of piqued my interest was uh, Darth Maul. So, I mean, I think that there's great oh, potential. He's... And I like this idea because I've been a big fan of the, the more recent Dark Horse comic stuff that covered, like, the prequel era. And there were a good number of kind of like special issues with the Jedi Knights and like with the, um, the council members and stuff where they would kind of get their, their issue or their arc in the spotlight. I can see that sort of thing being done with these movies where, you know, you're, you're taking that, that character and it's, it's basically, it's a spotlight, you know, you're, you're giving them spinoff. Yeah. You know, that, that one movie chance to you know to tell a bigger story but it's it's more about them and and focusing on that character i love it i i I think it's a great idea i think it's fantastic so the whole the whole thing about boba fett is though i'm not as excited because basically i think boba fett's a fairly weak character (laughs) and for he's more of a costume uh, like an awesome costume and a reputation than he is actually have, basically, he moves a body from one place to another and collects a bounty. Mm-hmm. That's basically the sum total of his, you know, he, he, he basically is smart enough to follow Han Solo, to know Han Solo's trick and follow him to, uh, to Bespin. That's about it, you know. So you don't really, see, and you don't ever see his fighting, his fighting skills are negligible. You see him run away and then you see him die. Right in, in Jedi, so you know, but of course, I'm sure whatever story they come up with, he'll he'll be awesome in it. But I'm just not buying the whole him as a great fighter. I would like to see it as him being a schlub who just gets <laughs> a great reputation by dumb luck, you know, 
and you know that sort of Jack the Giant Killer sort of story, where you know accidentally you know kills a giant, just gets this reputation as being this incredible badass, and he looks like a badass, but he's just incredibly lucky. That that would be a fun Boba Boba Fett story. <laughs> I don't think that we'll see it, but. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I, I think uh, we're in for some uh, some really good stuff, and I agree with you. I think this is a chance to, as big as Star Wars is, I think this is a, a chance to really open it up and, and kind of take it in a in a not so much a new direction, but to just crack it wide open to where, like you say, so many people can now have a, their shot at it, and it becomes you know, mythic at this point. It becomes I think even it's going, bigger than what it is. This is going to be the beginning of Star Wars, possibly, where mm-hmm. where there's there's going to be characters invented that may outshine Luke Skywalker and Han Solo in the future. You mm-hmm. know, they, they, they might end up being the, the subjects of 20 movies, like James Bond or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, you never know. what that That possibility is open now. You've got the... You know, you don't have that tight, tight, tight thing that Lucas had with the movies where it's like the numbered movies are about all you're going to get and everything else. You can you can explore all this other stuff, but it's got to be in other media, mostly comics, you know, right? The com, you know, like Star Wars tales. But now this just frees it up to say, all right, well, a certain amount of this and I'm. I, I don't know if they're going to attempt to do it in some sort of continuity and uh, keep a continuity. But now, yeah, now you can bring Star Wars tales to life where you can get it. This Basically, it's it's just like stories from another universe. Right. So it could be like watching our TV, but we're just watching whatever stories come out of the Star Wars universe. So there could be comedic stuff. You know, exactly. there there, yeah. there could be stuff that's almost horror. You could do a Death Troopers like stories, you know, or what whatever well, so you that, want. That's what I'm thinking is that you know if they kind of use what they've already been doing with the uh, with the books and the comics as far as the expanded universe is kind of a model for these standalone films and these side projects and stuff. I mean, it can go in an infinite number of directions. And that's what I find really, really exciting about it because the comics have been doing that now for 20 years and they've been largely very successful at it. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen things like Django Fett and Boba Fett, you know, mini movie, you know, type stories and things like, you know, mini series and things we had, you know, a fantastic Yoda spotlight, you know, special type of thing. And, you know the different Jedi Knights and well, some of the Darth Vader stories that oh, they've yeah. been doing, and and the thing about Darth Vader stories is that's something you could you could do Darth Vader movies. You know, I would love that. The, those the, Purge books that they keep coming out with, uh, those Purge one shots are fantastic. Yeah, man. they're they're cinematic in quality. Mm-hmm. So, I would love to see that. I would love to see some Darth Vader movies set in that in-between period between three and four, like what they're doing with the comics. I mean, that would be, oh, I'd, I'd love, I mean, I'd eat that up. There'd be the complaints of like, well, you know, that Darth Vader isn't going to die, but as those stories have proven, as those stories have proven, you don't need to know. That doesn't need to be what the story hinges on is his survival. It, It can be, 
I know you that know, things that have that happened to him, right? That that you know reflect into his past and into the future, and 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 build his character. You know that there's a lot of character building between the Darth Vader we see going no, and right. the one we see walking the Gate Runner in in Episode Four. I mean, I know that Indiana Jones is not going to die in Temple of Doom because exactly. it's a prequel, but that doesn't stop that part where he's headed into the grinder head first from being one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. in the entire uh, original trilogy because it's it's spellbinding. It's like, oh my God, you know, I love that moment. And you know darn well he's not going to buy it in that one. So, but, you know, so yeah, it, it all comes down to, you know, movie making and that sort of thing. It comes down to a good storyteller. Yeah. You don't, it's not the story that's uh, uh, compelling you as much as it is the way the story is being told. So St- Spielberg knows how to ratchet up the, you know, where you're going, God damn, I'm tense, but I know right. he's not going to die, but I'm still, <laughs> you know, I'm still worried, you know, and because the music's going, damn, 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 damn. Right, exactly. So, well, uh, we need to move it along here. A couple yes. other quick things, real quick. Um, I want to put out the plea once more. Uh, I put this on iTunes recently. And, uh, yeah, iTunes. I put this out on Facebook recently, and uh, a number of people responded, and I sincerely appreciate it, but I want to throw it out on the show. Please, 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 if you have never uh, ranked us on iTunes, if you've never gone to, to iTunes and, uh, you know, just basically just ranked us, give us a little, uh, you know, a little comment or something on there, please do that. If you use iTunes, just take a moment out of your day. You know, if you consider yourself a, a follower of the show, if you're a regular listener, just uh, take a moment, go to iTunes, just say a little something about us, uh, you know, give us a nice little ranking on there. It really helps people find the show. It helps grow uh, the listenership and uh, and it just generally helps us out. So we would really really appreciate that. Lastly, in my begathon portion of the show, uh, once again our email inbox has run dry. We have literally no emails to cover this episode. We are all caught up. So uh, keep those uh, cards and letters coming. Let us know what you think about the show and uh, you know that sort of thing. So. I'm proud we're caught up, though. Yeah, I am. I'm very glad that we're caught up. But uh, I, I like the email side. I like getting the feedback. Let us know what you're thinking, suggestions, that sort of thing. We are fast approaching the end of Marvel Comics Star Wars. Yes. And uh, we want to solicit your ideas. Where do you want the show to go from here? What would you like to hear? What don't you want to hear? That sort of thing. So uh, let us know. At the moment... What we're kind of thinking, as soon as we're wrapped up with uh, with the you know original 107 issue run, we're going to of course cover the two annuals that we just kind of skipped past. We will go back and cover those. We will take a look at the Marvel UK stories uh, from Marvel Star Wars, and beyond that, not really sure. I mean, we have ideas. Yep. We have plenty of places we would like to go. But we really want to hear from you. Where do you want us to go? What do you want to hear? That sort of thing. So definitely let us know. And with that, that's all I got. You got anything else for preamble? Or are you ready to move on into the, the issues proper? I am ready to go. You, sir, have our first mm-hmm. synopsis. Yes, this is Marvel Star Wars number 101. From November of 1985, a 65-center. At least that's what mine says. Mm-hmm. I might have a Canadian one, but I actually have my physical copy here. Me too. Um, once again, be careful. Th- this one I did not have to look up because it has the signature 
the actual signature signature of Bill Sienkiewicz on it, but damned if it couldn't be Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. Also, if there's like um, one of the the black My Little Ponies that's charging towards Han Solo, <laughs> has the the very Bill Sienkiewicz. I don't know what to call it except sort of organic circuitry right. sort of pattern that he puts on a lot of stuff with with little spatters of ink um, that gives it away. But a lot of the other stuff has just that pointy, um, pointy, pointy um, Walt Simonson look to it. Right. Now, and, let me uh, ask you, do you like this cover? No, I think it's kind of sloppy. It's okay. Um I think Han Solo has a weird little teeny head. <laughs> now, you know like, that I love me some Bill I love Bill Sienkiewicz. I just but, friended him on Facebook, and he's putting up, puts up neat mm-hmm. pictures on his Facebook. He is a hell of a nice guy. Um, I got to meet him at, uh, at last Megacon. I'm really hoping he's going to be at this coming up Megacon because uh, – like he's one of my favorite artists of he's, all yeah, time. Yeah, I, I really enjoy his stuff. And like a big idiot, I realized right after the con that one of my favorite comic book covers of all time, I totally forgot to take and have him sign for me. So I'm hoping that I can remedy that this time around. But as much as I love the guy, and you know I love me my Star Wars, I don't like, I've never liked this cover. This may very probably be my least favorite cover of the series. Oh, really? Only because... I don't think it's that bad. It's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not Star Wars. This literally looks like Cowboys and Indians, or you know what it really looks like? It looks like Indy lost his hat, and he's being attacked by Cossacks. Because it doesn't even look like he's shooting a laser pistol. It looks like he's got a revolver, and he's firing rounds at at attacking Cossacks. That's what it looks like Yeah, one of them, you know, you have, like, some long laser lines, but the one that's, like, I guess been fired more recently looks like a bullet speeding through the air. It's got a little bullet bump at at the end of it. I, yeah. I think you could literally take the word Star Wars off the cover and replace it with the further adventures of Indiana Jones number you know, hat 38 or whatever, and it would you, you could sell you it could, as the same cover. You could fiddle his holster into a whip in about two yep. lines and, and put a hat on him in like another three lines. But yeah. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind a Star Wars paying tribute to another genre or anything, but this one just doesn't really – it's just sort of – it doesn't have – I can see the composition where all the horses are pointing in at Han Solo and then the and then going in the opposite direction are his laser bullets and stuff. I could see how that was planned out, but it just comes off as very formless. It might be the coloring. The coloring once again is very like pastel colors. It's now, like Now I I'm always very reluctant to show my ignorance in, when it comes to the world of Star Wars because I do consider myself, you know, if it doesn't sound extremely big-headed, I consider myself something of an expert when it comes to Star Wars. I love me my Star Wars and all that. But, you know, I do have that giant blind spot when it comes to the EU. So I've got to just kind of throw this out to the listeners. Beyond this issue, are horses part of the Star Wars universe? I can't recall ever seeing or hearing of horses in any other story in star wars does anybody else know about that i i would just i would like to know one way or the other because i i think that's ultimately what really bugs me about this is that space horses horses. space horses well i I can find if they were space horses if they were like unicorns or 
or you know they they looked a little like 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 I don't know like maybe they were reptilian horses or these are a little tweaked these are these are have a little bit of reptile to them they have tweaked out long necks and sort of like um punk rock manes <laughs> they're, they're more they're like almost like a horse mixed with a greyhound or a whippet dog you know what i mean they've got that sort right. of coiled spring you mean in the issue them. yes yeah i see i think that's a product of cynthia martin's art though but yeah i, I did well yeah i think yeah. she made them look like an alien horse you know she made them not look like horses or like horses evolved on another Right, yeah, on in, another in planet. the issue, yeah, I, I yes. think they were very much... Like, on the cover, there's straight-up horses with saddles on them. Yeah, I think, yeah, but I think you're right. In the issue itself, they're they're kind of like fantasy My Little Pony horses or something like yeah. that, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I'll shut up and let you get on with your stuff. Oh, that's right, I'm doing a synopsis. All right, well, it's, geez, I haven't even given the credits yet. <laughs> so, uh, well, we got to the cover, Bill Senkevitz. Uh Joe Duffy, once again, is a writer... Cynthia Martin pencils and Art Nichols ink, Rick Parker's a letter, Glennis Oliver color, Anna Senny editor, and Jim Shooter the editor in chief. This month episode is far, far away, or Han Solo's brony adventure. <laughs> Han and Leia are having a disagreement, quote unquote, and uh, when Han gets punked down by Fen Shisa, who has just arrived to help the Alliance out. Han's buddy Bay also quote-unquote shows up even though he's been in the last few issues. <laughs> Bay urges Han to get uh, that he should get more mushy with Leah and tell her how he feels all the time and, and share his feelings and all that crap and Han balks at that. Then Han goes on a dangerous mission with the droids and a bunch of hujibs to uh, investigate some weird balls of energy that make things disappear like Charlie X. And of course, when the falcon goes near them, they make him disappear too. <laughs> and, uh, and he somehow shows up in the My Little Pony dimension, where they crash right in the middle of uh, some bandits chasing a princess and her boyfriend on on their space horses. So uh, Han scares off the bandits, and uh, the princess Risa develops, of course, a little crush on on Han. And her pop, the king, shows up and uh, sort of takes Han under his wing. And Han's starting to think maybe, you know, his, his ship's a little damaged. The the hujibs and uh, the droids are working on fixing it. But he's thinking he might be stuck here. He doesn't know where he is. He's in another universe. So he's starting to plan a little bit. He starts to come up with a complicated and really convoluted kidnapping plot with the uh, king to help the king sort of shore up his power and on this sort of beleaguered planet. And uh, it turns out, though, that uh, the plan is really sort of a way for Han to smoke out the person who's been manipulating all these factions, who is, of course, the evil wizard advisor to the king who's been manipulating everybody. And so once Han identifies and vanquishes this guy uh, it kind of unites all the factions and brings peace to the world and with that his ship ends up being repaired his work here is done so Han buggers off to the alliance and with an all new appreciation of his lady friend Leia and takes his friend Bay's advice and gets all kissy face with her <laughs> the end 
Now, you know, when we do eventually take over the Earth, and it is going to uh-huh. happen sooner than later, remind me it's not marching to, right along. Yeah, it's, it's moving at a, at a pretty good pace at this point. Remind me not to get us a Grand Vizier, because it's always yeah. the Grand Vizier. Once They're, you see that guy in the hat with his scepter and stuff, you know, in the, in the pointy nose. Yeah, once Gandalf shows up, you know where the troubles start. Yep, exactly. Um, it needs to be pointed out right away that uh, this is that infamous issue that was actually supposed to take place. And the story, is there is a notation on uh, the first panel on page two that the events in this story take place before Star Wars number 99, which was my complaint with the issues 99 forward, is that they don't make a whole lot of sense in the Bay aspect of the story with this happening out of order because Bay just pops in out of no out of nowhere and you don't even know who he is and don't know why he's important and feel no connection mm-hmm. with the character and everything like that. But you know, even putting it in proper context, it still has to be said, Bay sucks. Well even when they bring him in in this one, they just bring him in and, and he's like, hey he's standing behind Han and he and he's just like Bay, my old friend, you just happen to be here right now. Hey, are you still being a goody-goody two-shoes and helping out every? You know, it's just blank, like, exposition. And he sets up Bay as this really nice... And then Bay's like, listen, Han, get in touch with your feel. You got... If, if you love this Princess Leia, you got to tell her all the time or you're going to lose her to that, that, that Boba Fett-looking guy, man. I'm telling you, he's all up on her tip. And and so Bay is portrayed as being this, and then he turns out to be this total prick, as we found out in the last issue. Right. You know, which takes place after this issue that's all screwed up. But either way, his his arc, it goes from being like this really goody-goody character who's just like, I'm sick of being goody-goody, so I went bad and betrayed my best friend Han Solo. Whatever. You know. Whatever. Yeah, he sucks, man. Something I, I can't wait for is when we when we finish up, we're gonna have a nice retrospective, and we're gonna you know, we're gonna cover things like you know our, our top favorite stories, our top favorite you know characters and that sort of thing. But as far as you know, like the top favorites, I also want to do you know our least favorites. And at the moment, now I'm gonna have to go back and really dig around and do my mm-hmm. research and, and that sort of thing. But at the moment, I'm thinking Bay just might be one of the Your one of the top contenders characters. for my least favorite character. I just, mm-hmm. okay. you know, as much as you know, I, all the shit that's been given to say Jackson or um, or uh, what's his name, Don Juan kenobi or whatever the hell quixote Quixote, yeah don juan quixote and all those you know uh amaza and all those characters as much shit as they yeah i would i would watch a jackson saturday morning cartoon hell yeah i would rather get those guys back than more bay i just i'm sorry but i just i don't like him i don't like his character his look is ridiculous belongs in all when you go to a garage sale and you see the this this is where bay belongs when you go to that garage sale and you're looking around and you see like the easy bake oven and you see the old <laughs> crappy sheets and like the the Tupperware with the lids missing and then you see a long box and you go, "Oh damn, a long box." And then you open it up and it's full of 90s variant covers. Yep. That's where Bay belongs, right in there with with X-Force the 20 issues of X-Force number 1 and Mylar. Yep. 
Bay is the death mate of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. You know, I uh, I was kind of dreading getting to this issue when I realized it was coming up because, again, this is another one of those ones I really remembered just well, really hating this issue. I thought a second ago you were going to say that this was might have ranked as one of your worst issues, and I was going to say this isn't one of the worst issues. No. But definitely one of the worst characters. Yeah, I'll go with that. But, yeah, it's it, uh, all that being said, it's not that bad, you know? What saves this issue, though, and I, I think we're going to see this very well illustrated with the next issue that we're going to cover. What saves this issue is that it's not a, a great story by any stretch, but the art is beautiful. I mean, I know we keep saying this when it comes to Cynthia Martin, but this team of Cynthia Martin and Art Nichols, at least in this particular issue, is is fantastic. And it's funny because as I started the issue, I wasn't sure I was going to like it because... I don't like that don't, opening page. I don't like the opening page. The color is way off. It looks like an old Charlton comic. It, it's it's Their very proportions stiff. are weird. Yeah, they, they look too anime or something but then you turn the page and from every just about everything else in the issue going forward i love the art she really or actually it would be more nickels nickels inking in this is really gorgeous and i'll point out a couple of different uh, instances but uh right away you know, you got who jibs pliff and the who jibs are back which is awesome but my favorite panel i posted this on facebook today first panel on page three where Han's been knocked on his ass and he's just starting to pick himself up and he looks up and there's the towering figure of what he mistakes for being Boba Fett staring down at him. That is a great, great panel. I love that. Why he doesn't get up and pull it, like kick his ass at that point. <laughs> you know, why there isn't a, a big state. He just sort of gets up and, and lets this guy walk off with Princess Leia. He's a man. The guy in the in the Boba Fett outfit, walk off with Princess Leia? No way, man. That would not stand in in my universe. <laughs> Come on, uh, you know, I mean, seriously, who gets to not who gets to grab Han Solo by the scruff, throw him down on the ground, and not even go? Oh, sorry. You know, he didn't even. Uh, these are all he never even said oh sorry about that dude i didn't know you know no these are all the reasons why i love fen shisa people keep asking me what is the big deal with fen shisa he's barely in the series well well so is boba fett you know boba fett had what like three lines and like 15 seconds of footage in the in the trilogy but i love the guy and uh and i like fen shisa even more because here he does he he grabs han by the scruff of the neck throws him on his ass and intimidates him enough that he can actually steal his woman away. Jesus Christ, great, man. Now, now the, the next actual next frame after that, do you get the impression that maybe they had Bay added in to that? Could be <laughs> to that frame. I think he was supposed to come in when his arm comes in and he was like, need some help. Yeah. You know, but I think they drew him in. Maybe post ninety nine and one hundred for some reason to just sort of more reinforce the 
the fact that he was there. I can't tell you why, but in that panel you're talking about, he so reminds me of Tonto. I, it's ridiculous. And I can't really put my finger on why, but he just does. I look at that picture and that's what I think is Tonto. I look at it this way. If he had his eye poked out, why does he have to have a space eye patch? <laughs> what good does it do to have your eye patch with a circuitry on it or something if it's still covering your blind eye come on but, but is it though i wonder if it's a nice see oh maybe he can see through it i don't know it is doesn't it, look very eye like it, it doesn't but if you look at page four that third panel there is like a like a squarish yeah like it's like could be cyborg a from the teen titans or something so i'm wondering if maybe it's not an eye patch so much as like an artificial eye it's just like a really shit artificial eye that he got like <laughs> Yeah, at the flea market or something, you know? Oh, you need an artificial eye? We got one right here. Special deal for you. <laughs> my favorite my favorite part is, well, on page eight, when the when the Millennium Falcon first comes in, coming in upside down, yes. out of warp, or, you know, out, out of, you know, light speed. Isn't that and, awesome? And then on the next page, it sort of crashes sideways and upside down. And then you see Han inside. There's a, and one of the greatest pictures of C-3PO, you know, on his back with a mm -hmm. with a, a hujib next to him. But a very great, good drawing of accurate drawing of C-3PO. And then I just love, basically, Han standing on the wall, with the ceiling is the one, you know, the whole ship on its sort of on its side and upside down. It's just neat. It's it's neat to see the ship from that perspective. Yeah, and well, you do, and it's something that should happen more often <laughs> with well, what, crash landings. <laughs> what I loved about because you're right that panel it's the it's the bottom it's basically it's half the page but it's yeah. the bottom panel of page eight but it is literally half the page. When I first saw that I thought oh my god she got she got the she got the um cockpit on the wrong side and then i realized oh my god it's upside, upside down. down that's cool yeah it's really cool because it crashes like like the saucer section of the enterprise or something and skids in for a landing it's great the you part see, i like is right after that where han falls down the snowbank look at the third panel on page 10 where he's he's slid down the snowbank and he's looking back up at the falcon at the top of the snowbank that's a great perspective shot that is so beautiful right there. Oh, yeah. He's going yeah, yeah. freaking snow. I hate snow. I love it. That's He's great. space swearing. I wonder what those words are. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. The art in this is just gorgeous. I mean, look at, um, what was her name? Kira? Mira something? I can't remember. Anyway, the, the princess's daughter. Or, yeah, the princess's daughter. The king's daughter, I mean. The princess. The princess. Look at her dress. I mean, in almost every panel, Nichols really went out of his way to like add like little highlights and flourishes, and it's just gorgeous. It well, it's got a repetitive nice. pattern that he had to that he answered the Christmas the, trees. Yeah, that had well, if he inked it, he might have inked it in over Cynthia Martin's thing. But either way, that that must have been a lot of. Mm -hmm. You can tell there was some some time. This they had some time to do this one. Some extra care was put into it, and. uh it, it this this is almost my my big note on the artwork is I would really like to see a black and white reprint of all the Cynthia Martin work. Oh yeah, I think that would be a great equalizer. 
in the quality of it to where you could see because Cynthia Martin's art is as inkers would change and stuff would and even this one is different than her other issues and and I think that that's partially because she would change you know she would change the, the art style a little she would tweak it a little to fit whatever story this is a more like princesses this is my little my little pony world it's a princess world mm-hmm. so everything is kind of frilly and let's face it we're in we're in the midst of girly star wars yep there's a lot of talk you know the the whole arc of this story is for han solo to appreciate what he's got with princess leia and to uh you know at one point he's like yeah maybe i could stay here this this chick's obviously into me and it would be a lot easier to deal with her than 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 leia leia but you know at the end he realizes you know she's a girl for you know it's a very it's a very feminine story arc you know it's about somebody's feelings in a relationship what do they call those those stories that fans write where they project themselves into the what is that mary joe or something mary jane or mary Mary joe or something like that yeah that's kind of what this is not that she's projecting herself into the you know either joe duffy or or cynthia martin but by this point Joe Duffy has a lot of ladies having crushes on Han Solo. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, the, yeah. the girl. You you notice that the when they do publish the the letters pages because we're in that era now where they didn't publish a whole lot of letters because so many of them were complaining. But when <laughs> right. they do publish the letters, a lot of them, I, I mean, a whole lot of the letters are from the female audience. And they're mm-hmm. saying things like, you know, let's see more Han, let's see more Harrison Ford, let's see more romance, you know, whether it's Maybe Han and Leia or whatever. Off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think this is one for the girls. Well, this know? was when, I mean, this is when your cousin Michelle oh, yeah. took an interest in the, she took an interest in the Star Wars comics, but this was when she was sort of like, she, you know, we were all reading the Star Wars comic and she was just like, ha ha, there's girls writing Star Wars comics for me. You know, there was stuff for her in it and right. she was really happy about that, you know? Yeah, she loved this stuff. As yeah. guys, we don't appreciate that, you know? We don't see, you know, the only way we appreciated it was we saw Michelle's reaction for it. Otherwise, we would have been just like, nobody wants to see this girly stuff. But, um,. Yeah, I the, the thing the problem with the color and sometimes when the color is mostly like characters costumes on a white snow background it's okay. But when it starts getting like larger parts of the the panel with large colors and darker colors and stuff and they start clashing with the pastels. Mm-hmm. I would just love to see the black and white version of this. Because it would, I think it would just be gorgeous. There's, a, you know, there's some just illustration like um, on page way ahead on page twenty one. There's one where the king's like twiddling his his mustache yeah. as he as he ruminates. It's just very nicely. De- it's not super detailed, but it's just detailed enough in the right places, and it's it's really nice. It's. I'm just I'm just digging this artwork so much more than I remembered liking it. It just hit me what the color reminds me of. Do you remember those those uh packs you used to get when you were a kid? It was like you'd get like I don't know, I think it was like six different posters and you'd mm-hmm. color them with markers mm-hmm. and you could never yes. do more than like two posters before the friggin' markers ran out of ink. Yes, the posters that- would start getting lighter around the edges as the marker yep. wore out. 
Yeah, that's what the coloring in this reminds me of. It looks like it was done with those markers. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it looks different. good. Yeah. But but sometimes it doesn't it, it it doesn't look good. It just it sometimes uh here's a good example on page God, my eyes are going. I need to get um oh what you call it's where you get the two di- different uh lenses on your bifocals i need to get bifocals on page six there's a just three three vertical panels across that whole page and with the color in it it's kind of a mess yeah i'll agree with that yeah i think if you took the color off those it wouldn't be a mess at all i think she there's a lot of design to them there's a lot of swirling it's like going through bad hyperspace or something yeah so there's a lot of swirling shapes and it's a mixture of hyperspace and weird wiggly stuff. And I think it would look really neat in black and white. The color, I think, really takes away. It makes that that like that red thing look sort of like a giant distorted plastic man tongue or something. <laughs> it it just doesn't work. I think but, page twelve, that last panel of Han after he holsters his weapon looks really yes. good too. That's really nice. Once again, we have a girl drawing, so she's drawing that Harrison Ford lovingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> she's putting in the stuff that 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 you know women like about Han Solo and and generally Harrison Ford in general. When you see his and on the next page on page thirteen, there's three panels with three. Um, completely different yet completely signature Han Solo Harrison Ford postures. Yeah. yeah. When he's walking up a hill and it's got that sort of he's charging. It's this is very Harrison Ford. You know, he's charging ahead of everybody, and he's kind of leaning into his walk. Mm-hmm. And then the next one, he's stopping and he's regarding somebody, but he's like got his hips out and his shoulders caught and his head cocked to the side. He's just like, come on, give me a. You know, it all says, give me a break. And then, of course, he's talking to uh, the princess and her and her betrothed, and he's doing the lean against the wall. Right. Yeah, yeah. Tell me some more. Right. <laughs> posture, and it's it's great. She's really. I mean, in those two pages, and then you then you, on the next page you have the total um, Harrison Ford Macananya. Yep. One where he's you know he's got one hand propped against the wall and he's looking deep into her eyes. <laughs> one of my favorite shots of the whole book though is the little uh gulliver's travel moment yes. when when they're dragging you know they've got this just legion of men and horses and they've got ropes all tied to the falcon and they're dragging it across the now, snowfield that's cool i think the falcon's a little bit big in relation to all those yeah. horses. I think that's it's it's almost like Noah's Ark or something, you know, or yeah. Fitzcarraldo or some that movie Fitzcarraldo. But yeah, I don't think I don't think uh the proportions are quite right. I think the horses would be a little bigger in proportion to the falcon. But other but otherwise that's a really awesome shot. It kind of reminds me of episode one, that shot of all the Gungan army yeah. passing. You know, because you got characters up and to the left just sort of standing there regarding it, 3PO and the Magistrate and the King, and, you know, and with the main action going down in a sort of valley off to the side of them. 
It reminds me of the old, uh, there's a, the Max Fleischer cartoon of Gulliver's mm-hmm. Travels. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. But you're right about the, the proportions of the, uh, I almost said the Enterprise, <laughs> the, yeah. uh, the Falcon here, okay. because it does look very Enterprise. Like the very last panel of the book, I was noticing that the ramp that lowers down from the Falcon is all wrong right there. And it's really because it makes the Falcon kind of look like the saucer section of the Enterprise. It's it's way too high off the ground and way too massive. So, yeah, the, the proportions are a little funny right there. Because that ramp, the way it's lowered right there, it looks like you could march like a platoon of stormtroopers up it. And if you remember right. in, in Empire, Chewie kept hitting his head. When just have by having three PO strapped to his back, so yeah, it's it's not quite right. But uh, I I really you know as much as the story is kind of eh you know it's it's an okay story, but the art is just I thought mm-hmm. the art was fantastic in the issue. That's pretty mm-hmm. much all I got on that. You got anything else on one hundred and one? No, I think I'm uh, pretty much uh, spent all my uh, load <laughs> on that one. Oh, that's a lovely image. <laughs> All right, so moving along to number 102. This is the uh, December 1985 issue. Cover on this by Kerry Gamble and Sam Delarosa. And we'll be talking about both of these guys a little bit later in the episode, too. Uh, the cover on this one it depicts a sword swinging Luke Skywalker, and he's apparently <laughs> really pissed off that uh, someone has switched his X Wing with a UFO. And. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He looks oh, just furious. He's got his fist clenched. <laughs> his pecs all in an uproar. He is side by side with his fish friend. Wait for it. Kiro. Uh, while these uh, purple space sea serpents with Fu Manchu mustaches look on. You know, I, I love these artists. I really do. Just not so much feeling it with this particular cover. And man, talk about your spoilers. They right on the cover. I know. Heroes back. It's like, well, that you completely right. destroyed any mystery for this Who's particular back? story. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so the story is entitled School Spirit. You know, fish, school, get it? Yeah, whatever. Uh, so yeah joe duffy is the writer it should have made it like stick to itiveness as in like fish stick i think it should be smells like school spirit that's a number it's too early for that reference how about smells like fish (laughs) (laughs) smells like fish it's a dish (laughs) eat all that you wish (laughs) okay so joe duffy is the writer Sal Buscema is uh, does the breakdowns. Sam Delarosa finishes. Rick Parker lettering, Petra Scotis coloring, and Ascenti editor and Jim Shooter editor in chief. Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian return to the water world of Iskalon aboard the Cobra, which is eh, it's kind of all right, I guess. If you think Imperial shuttle just b- without that big fin on the roof. That's kind of what the ship looks like. It reminds me a little of those, um, those were their Kenner toys. I just sold one of them on eBay yeah. a little while ago. That they made us little mini versions of all sorts of things and they made a sort of mini Imperial shuttle right, sort yeah. of thing that this reminds me of. Except that had a fin on the back of it and this one doesn't. Was it Shag that said he thought it looked like the shuttle from V? Because it does look like that, too. Mm. What's he pointing I've never at? seen V, so I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Eh, you know, yeah. it's not a whole lot. 
Anyway, oh, we're going to get letters about that now. <laughs> um, anyway, they're returning to Iskalon to uh, inform the fish people that, uh, that live on the planet that Kiro is dead. Now, why they're bothering to do this is beyond me, because Kiro was cast out by his people, or at least that's how I remember that story. Uh, but, you know, I, I can go along. And I remember them being a little hostile. They were sort of like, thanks for saving our ass, but you know what? You Don't other worlders are trouble. Or Don't trouble. come back, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you right. know, we we like you, you're okay, but we're still kind of smarting from this, so piss off and don't come back. That's right. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. You're right. So it turns out, however, that the Nagai have gotten there first, and they've slaughtered a whole bunch of these fish folk. Leader Moan and his uh, new lady friend, uh, Dania, I guess is her name. It's kind of like Diana, but with the I and the A switch. So Dania, I guess. Now, she is a seahorse woman, which is kind of cool, I guess, for a different kind of alien. They <laughs> sound so attractive. Yeah, no, well, she's she's pretty funny looking, too. Now, they sense some sort of trouble on the surface, so they rise up to investigate. When they get there, they find that all the Nagai are wiped out, and they just assume that the uh, just-landed Luke and Lando have done this for them. But, you know, Luke and Lando, they're like, well, torn us, man. And uh, so Dania says that it had to be him. Him turns out... I wonder out, who him is. Yeah, oh, wait, <laughs> turns that's out right. I saw the cover. Kiro, yes, you guessed it. Not a whole lot of mystery given that cover. But, Luke says, Kiro's dead. That's what we came to tell you. And uh, Moan just says, nope, seen it myself, dude. So anyway, yeah, you guys are wasting your gas. <laughs> Another invasion is uh, launched from an under construction Nagai base that has to be really close by, given how quickly the bad guys show up at uh, where our where our heroes are positioned. I mean, it, it's literally like they swim out of the little port thing in the side of it, and they're there like what is it like three panels later or something so i'm thinking that from when where luke and lando are standing they they ought to see this thing you would think but anyway um luke now i think he kind of in this one moment i think he kind of succumbs to something that i would think would be one of those things that leads to the dark side that yoda's always talking about you know i think he's very overconfident and smug in this one part Anyway, he and Lando, they try to hold off the uh, the Nagai soldiers that are invading while Moan and his people try to escape. But the Nagai are armed with new sonic weapons and they just basically take everybody out. The fish people are captured and our heroes are rendered helpless and they're about to be executed when Kiro shows up and he saves them by brutally dispatching about half a dozen Nagai. And then he just jumps in the water and swims back into the deep. Now, Luke and Lando, they're stunned, and they're kind of slow to recover, and then when they do, there's a whole lot of exposition where they kind of discuss the situation. They come to the conclusion that Moan and Dania would rather die than become slaves of the Nagai. So as the leader of the fish folk, and you know, because of this whole school-mind-school mentality type of thing, you know, think-the-Borg mentality kind of thing, you know, collective-conscious, whatever... This likely means that the Iskalonians will commit mass suicide rather than... That's a huge suicide. assumption yeah, that they make. They're they, kind of goofy, too. You know, well, anyway, nobody wants that, so 
Lando and Luke, they uh, they don scuba gear and they swim down to the base of this Nagai Tower, you know, down underwater. And they start hacking away at it with Luke's lightsabers. And again, more Nagai show up. They just have an endless supply of these guys, I guess. And again, Kiro shows up to take them out. So Kiro, again, <laughs> swims off to this time go save his people. Luke swims off to back him up. And that pretty much leaves Lando all by himself to finish the job and hopefully not get eaten by these giant purple space sea monsters. That it are reminds me of the the Lando in our Battle in Outer Space Wars who always got the crap, the <laughs> shit end of the stick. He always just, yeah, always ended up with the worst job and like and stuff. That's what it reminds Hey, Lando, and meanwhile, there's all sorts of sea serpents. I'm just going to take off, Lando. You got it from here, right? Okay, see ya. Well, look at Lando's expression on page 18, that third panel. He's saying good luck, but the look on his face looks like he's saying it sarcastically, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, thanks for nothing. You know, it's great. I love it. (laughs) So, um... Oh, where was I here? Swims up, blah, 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 sea monsters. Okay, so Kiro... He saves his people, but then he takes a shot in the heart for his trouble. And uh, Luke gets everybody out of the tower before it collapses, presumably ending the Nagai threat to the Iskalonians. The fish people, well, they're all sad about the loss of Kiro. And uh, I'm presuming that they've just conveniently forgotten that they were really a bunch of assholes to him. And they kind of banished him from their planet a while Mm -hmm. back in the original story. I I guess this is all just conveniently swept under the rug. Luke sits around and he mourns for the loss of his pal until suddenly Kiro just shows up. And he's fine and dandy for a dead guy. And his basic explanation is, oh, well, that guy missed. He didn't hit me in the heart. Yeah. Don't trust your lion eyes. (laughs) Essentially, essentially, that's what he says. Well, well, the guy missed. He didn't hit me. And then he goes on to say that, uh, you know, after the whole thing in prior issues, you know, where he was thought dead, that, you know, he was left gravely wounded after his battle with Dan back on canoeing. And in fact, he's not even sure how he got back to Iskalon, but... You know, could you please keep my secret because I really don't want Danny to know that I'm still alive. I love her, but, you know, my people and yada, yada, yada. And uh, it's it's kind of goofy. And he eventually he just kind of swims off into the sunset. And that's the last of Kira. I like yada, yada, yoda. <laughs> that's my new one. You like that? We should. Yeah. Or just yoda, 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 yoda. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. It ends with Kiro. What a hero is basically what uh, what Luke and Lando are left saying at the end of the issue. And he used to be a zero. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Next issue, though, and I, if I remember this story properly, for one thing, it's it's one of my favorite issues of the of the series. So I'm pretty sure I remember it accurately. But I'm a little bit mystified by the blurb for next issue. It says, "What could be worse than the guy?" says you just may find out as Princess Leia Organa and her entourage meet Ty. Now, if I remember that story, uh, I don't remember there being anybody but the guy in that story, so I don't know what the hell they're talking about here, but I don't know. We'll find out one way we'll or the other. We'll find out. It's a, it's a really good issue. I'm looking forward to that one. Good, A nice, a nice solid punch-in-the-gut ending to that story. So. <gasps> but uh, So what did you think of uh, issue 102? Well, <laughs> the art 
at first I was like, the art took a big jump down. But then when I looked at it more, I realized I liked the art pretty much except for Luke and Lando's heads. <laughs> Remember when we were little kids and my sister had that John Travolta doll that we melted onto that brick and it had yes. that stupid rubber head. Yes. It was kind of, you could sort of mush it and make it all lumpy. That's what Lando and Luke's head. Everybody else's heads are okay. Luke and Lando look like rubber action figure heads that have been squished out of shape a little bit. And Luke always has all these just like weird, pissed off, fish-lipped expressions. <laughs> and Lando's just generally misshapen and has... Both of them have super helmet head. You know, like cast plastic head. Yeah. And yeah, but that's... I guess the artwork isn't like great, but it's it's good. You know, it's 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 sort of standard Marvel comic. Yeah. But man, their faces are messed up. Like on the last page, all those shots of Luke like looking into the sun with his Mick Jagger lips and <laughs> stuff, you know. It's what the hell is going on? <laughs> well, it's uh, this is I mean, that's Salbusima for you, you know, when people yeah. are always going in looking like really <laughs> constipated and stuff. Yeah, it's just that's kind of his stock and trade. You're right about the Mick Jagger lips. Oh, my God. Yeah, he does. He looks like he's having an allergic reaction or something. It's... I'm so huffa. I'm so huffa. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, my, the pan, I got to be honest with you. I don't like the art in this issue at all. I, I think it's really, really bad. I just, I Every, like the sea I, monsters, but that's about it. The sea monsters, like the, the opening page of sea monsters, I was like, oh, damn, this is going to be a good issue. No. That's a beautiful opening splash page. They're all nicely detailed and lumpy looking. And, and then. Like I said, nothing else really bothers me about the art in it except for their stupid rubber heads. Everything else looks okay. It's Once again, it's got that same sort of coloring, pastel, pinks and blue look. But I'm getting used to that's becoming part of the look of the, the whole thing. Evan. Evidently, Lando was really, really nervous about this mission because the top of page three right there, he's holding his breath and turning purple. Yes, like just one side of his face. Breathe, Lando, breathe. (laughs) Come on, damn it. (laughs) I know you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just keeps punching him in the face. Oh, that reminds me. You're going to love this one. You are going to love this one. Where is it? Page six, next to last panel. That dude is pissing in the pool. Look at that. That's disgusting. <laughs> that is so wrong, man. He's, I didn't even notice that. He's just like, he's hanging off to the side. He's got his arms at his side. Yeah, he's totally doing that. Don't mind me. I'm not pissing in the pool. This, I mean, that's pretty much all these. This is one thing. This is one thing that gets me. All right. Okay. So, okay. The guy has married, you know, um, female. His his mate is a seahorse creature. Right. All right. That's that's great. But <laughs> even though seahorses, 
like really like that don't, don't they make the men like carry the eggs and the babies and stuff and so so how does mating work with their two different species but that all aside this is just comic books in general do this okay i know it's his wife and she's female but why does she have to have model tits why does she have to be a sea t- sea turtle but when you get there she's got boobs but they're covered up by some sort of like, you know, ballroom dancing dress, you know, <laughs> cleavage dress. So she's got these hot boobs. <laughs> when there's no fish with fish don't have boobs, you know, to be, you know, a female you, you don't see a fish just swimming by and go, "Oh, look, it's a female," you know, because yeah, you you're see right. boob, fish don't boobs nurse on them. young. Yeah, that's right. 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 So what what are what the you know, why does she have these like, you know, secondary female characteristics and stuff? You know, it's just a it's just a trope of comic book art. It's like, oh, it's his mate. But they could have just given her the long hair and made her into a you know it's it's just I just it doesn't really bother me. It's actually kind of funny, but it's just like, you know, all right, so we have to give all the females boobs. But not only that, they have to give them hot boobs. <laughs> so at the same time, you know, uh, luckily I'm an adult and I've been so calloused by things, horrifying things I've seen at the Internet that that, that has no effect on me. But if I was like a seven year old kid and I saw a seahorse lady and, you know, I, and I was still you know young enough to where I still you know, there's that age before you really start appreciating the boobs, but you appreciate them probably more from a food, you know, angle or, you know, that you, <laughs> you're still young enough. So you're just like boobs are good because they were a source of food or whatever. So so to see seahorse lady and boobs could really mess a kid up. <laughs> you put a lot of thought in this. I always do. And then, like, just a few pages later, they got that ad with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's the, the most bizarre look yeah. at Hulk Hogan ever. Yeah, he's, there's something wrong with him. It's not, well, there is something wrong with him, but we wouldn't find that out for years. Luke Skywalker is really starting to piss me off about this two lightsabers business. Now, I like the idea of him having two lightsabers, but again, like I pointed out last episode, he uses them only at the weirdest times like Mm -hmm. last issue when he was in a fight he didn't use them but then when he was battling remotes he used them same thing in this one he gets in a big fight where two lightsabers would have come in really handy doesn't use them but then when they're hacking away at the base of that tower suddenly he remembers oh yeah i got two of these things i have an idea if you know how to build lightsabers why don't you build 12 lightsabers right. <laughs> and, you know, give one to Han, give one to Lando here. Merry Christmas. You know, ho, ho, ho. Guess what? <laughs> happy, happy life, life day. Have, yeah. Have, have a lightsaber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I made, I made you, I, and Chewy, I made you an extra large one, you know, it's your favorite color, you know, and, and there, and that'll save you a lot of trouble and it will help your friends kick other people's asses when necessary. Cause you gotta admit, a lightsaber in the hands of a Jedi is a fantastic we- weapon, but a lightsaber in, in the hands of a of a competent fighter is still also an awesome weapon and a, right. and a great tool. You know, it's like your universal cutting device for sure. It's like Doctor Who's sonic screwdriver. It's just 
all purpose. And he could make them little lightsaber daggers or something like that if he's too afraid they're going to take someone's head off or something, you know? Well, you know, everybody loves that little moment in, in The Empire Strikes Back where Han wields Luke's lightsaber for just a moment. You know, I always like that moment, too. And it, it has to be pointed out here that, uh, that Lando gets to briefly wield the lightsaber, which is kind of cool in this one, too. He doesn't act like he really knows what to do with it. And uh, it's way too small for his hand, too, I'm noticing. They both look like... like That's what she said. <laughs> they look like those little, like, pen light, you know, those pen flashlight mm-hmm. things, but... That's all I got for 102. Um, I wish that uh, that Martin and Nichols had done that one too. I'd probably like it better, but yeah, I, yes. don't, I don't. I don't dig it so much. I, I mean, yeah. If if actually, if this the, this story, not that the story is bad or anything. It's just I I love the Cynthia Martin art. Mm-hmm. And we're getting towards the end, so there's part of me that just doesn't want anybody filling in, you know. Right. Filling in for her because it just, this one just has, this is, I don't want it to sound worse than it is, but it's it's your generic Marvel comic from this time period. And this it is like 1985, and this is kind of, for 1985, this is kind of on the lame end of generic Marvel comic. You right. Know, it's, it's the you know the arts kind of pedestrian at this time marvel was starting to do all sorts of neat stuff so this sort of pedestrian comics were even more just sort of like eh and especially when for for us this was you know we were you know we were we were in we we're juniors in high school going on close to being seniors in high school right I think it's actually made, no, we were seniors in high school when this came out. I think it's made worse by the simple fact that the the entire story and the entire issues, it's really pointless. I mean, did we need this? Did we need to know, uh, you know that wh- what happened with Kiro? I mean, I presumed he he really did die, and that now of course that's maybe that's a stupid presumption because it, it is comics. We never saw a body. Typically, when that happens, they ain't that's dead. That's what that's what we said at the at the time that comic came out. We were just like because I knew he'd come again. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, still the the nature of this one is really bizarre because, okay, so he's back. Well, if he's back, then he's back. But this is weird because it's like, Kiro's back and it's on the cover and everything, but then at the end of the issue, he's like, just just forget about me. You know, go on without me. And it's like, well, what what the hell was the point then? If he's not back, then why even reference it's, him a, It's almost like they didn't want him dead and came up with a sort of romantic way to bring him alive. It was sort of a way to bring him alive again but to also sort of write off a lot of stuff, especially like his romance with with uh, Donnie. Right. Where he's like, you know, you can't tell her that I'm alive because, you know, we're we're in love with each other, but it's better that she thinks that I'm dead so I can be here and help my people and all that, which makes a nice little story arc for him. But like you said, it's unnecessary. But then again... Why at this point? Why does it have to be necessary anyway? If they can come up with a story, I almost looked at this. Not that this was what they were thinking, or this could have happened, but it had the feel of the beginning of a spinoff to me, like almost mm. like they were bringing it. Like I, I'm sure they weren't planning on this, 
But this is almost like the comic you would see before Kiro number one, you know, or, <laughs> right. you know, it, it would be just so it, where it would be. The story of Kiro is sort of like Zorro, you know, or the the outcast protector of his species and <laughs> and all that. You know, it, that's what it felt like to me. It was like they, it was like they sort of took a character that they killed off and reintroduced him but took him out of the Star Wars universe as if they were going to set him up in his own. Now you know? I want to sing that theme song for the for the Kiro, the Kiro TV song, or TV show, that'd be awesome. What, what, what is it? Out of the night, when the full moon is bright, comes the sea horseman known as Kiro. <laughs> <laughs> Kiro, Kiro, Kiro. <laughs> There's like three people in the world that are going to get that. Joke. I have no idea what you're... What, there what was the old Zorro. Do you remember the old Zorro TV show? I never saw... I, the only Zorro TV show I ever saw were the Filmation cartoons. Oh my God, I forgot all about those. Yeah. It was an, it was an old... Uh, 50, I think 50s? 50s I've 60s seen some Zorro show. movies. Yeah. And, like, I think they could be serials and stuff. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking like the... What was his name? Fairbanks? That's going way, 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 way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, there was a, it was a TV show back in, I don't know, 50s or 60s. My dad used to watch it. My dad was a big fan of those. Anyway, is that all we got for 102? That's pretty much all I got to say about that. All right, why don't we take a little break, and we will come back with the further adventures of Indiana Jones. Yes. All right. It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Okay, so the further adventures of Indiana Jones number eight. This is the August 1983 cover dated issue. 
Now, this was on sale May 3rd, 1983. That's according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which you can find at uh, www.dcindexes.com. Highly recommend that site. Mike Voyles, hell of a nice guy, and uh, his site is uh, just fantastic. Really, It's really become uh, an invaluable tool for me for uh, doing homework for this show. Anyway, original cover price, $0.60. Cents. This sports a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. This, I believe, is my personal favorite cover of the entire series. And that's saying something when John Byrne has done a couple yeah. of, uh, of covers for it. But uh, I really It's up there with this. John Byrne for sure. It's oh, yeah. very John Byrne-like to me. It, it reminds me of like somebody has... Um, oh, what was his name? He just did, I think he did the last cover um, who did Harry the Black Kimmel? Kiss. Oh, uh, uh, Howard Chaikin. It reminds me of Howard Chaikin and and um, John Byrne sort of mixed together. That would be because this is Howard Chaikin and Terry Austin. And Terry, Terry Austin is the, is the frequent anchor, or at least back in these days, was the frequent okay. anchor. John Byrne. So that's why it reminds you of Howard Chaikin that, and John that makes, Byrne. That, <laughs> makes, the mouth, the mouth on Marion, the Marion's face is one hundred percent Howard Chaikin. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is a great cover, though. Th- this cover it uh, depicts Indian Marion, and they're both brandishing firearms as these uh, spears. And it's tough to tell if the spears are being poked at them or like shot at them. Actually, I guess they're being shot because there's one where you can actually see the feather. Maybe they're more like arrows. But anyway, well, if they're getting poked at them, there's some really tall guys poking those. Ones <laughs> yeah, at that's the top. true. So I guess they have these arrows like flying at them, but it's cool. They're closing in from all sides. And uh, they're set against the backdrop of this huge and forbidding skull temple-looking thing. And it's it's just really cool. It's very, very uh, dynamic cover. And I love the color. The use of color on it is really, really nice. But, yeah, just a fantastic cover. And, uh, again, I love the little, uh, the little box that just says, Featuring the Hero of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, just, I always get a kick out of that. So the story this time is entitled Africa Screams, Chapter 2, Crystal Death, not to be confused with crystal meth. And this is by David Michelini, plot and script, Kerry Gamble and Sam Delarosa on the art. And see, I told you I'd be mentioning them again. Now, I like their art a hell of a lot more in this issue than I liked on the cover of Star Wars 102, by the way. Janice Chang is the letterer. Uh, Paul Becton, who's a new name for us, I think, uh, does the colors. Louise Jones, editor, and Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. In a cave deep in the African Congo, Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood are in trouble with a capital T. Hiding from Nazis, they soon discover that they are not alone. A huge, slavering panther has stalked up behind them. Quick thinking from Indy saves the pair, but they are forced to give up their hiding spot and their position. But they are able to escape thanks to Nazis being the flavor that cats love. <laughs> Fleeing deeper into the jungle, Indy and Marion run smack into eight foot tall. <laughs> the flavor that the cats crave. Crave. <laughs> They run smack into an eight-foot-tall, fair-skinned native. Indy, guessing what this guy might be, resists Marion's plea to simply blow him away, but the man is struck down anyway by one of Colonel Vogel's men. 
MacIver chastises the Nazi commander for this, stating that the dead man was precisely what they were looking for, a member of the Shintae, the legendary lost colony from Atlantis. Soon, Indy, Marion, and the Nazis all find themselves surrounded by more of the tribesmen, and they're kind of pissed off about their dead buddy. So they haul everybody back to their home, which is a colossal structure made of the bones of humans, animals, and creatures no modern man has ever set eyes upon. There, they meet Viperion, leader of the Shintae, and thank goodness that he speaks English. You know, by the way, that reminds me, I totally forgot to point out in uh, Star Wars 101, by the way, um, how did those people on that planet that Han wound up on, how did they speak the same language? There's no universal translators in the Star Wars universe. I just feel compelled to point that out. Anyway. Well, you've seen the My Little Pony cartoon. They speak English. <laughs> Anyway, back to Indiana Jones. He explains the nature of the mysterious power source. This is a Viperion I'm speaking of. He's the leader of the Shintae. And he explains the nature of the mysterious power source that has brought the Nazis calling. It's weird crystal orbs perfectly aligned in the chamber, which channel the energies of the Earth. And when focused thusly, they basically microwave the one Nazi guy who shot down that Shintae warrior. The guy literally cooks from the inside out, much to everyone's horror. The chief then orders everybody to bed to await the same fate tomorrow. In prison, the Nazis try to figure out a way to escape, while Marion and uh, Indy, they literally just nod off for a little nap. So at dawn... Uh, Much like the map room scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the rays of the morning sun focus through dozens of crystals that are embedded in the roof of the dungeon ceiling and act like laser beams lancing down and threatening to take off the head of our dozing archaeologist hero. Thankfully, one of the slumbering stooges stretches his arm in his sleep and it catches uh, the beam that's just about to lop off Indy's head. The man screams and suddenly everyone is up and on their feet and chaos ensues. The room has been crisscrossed with a laser maze of death. Nazis uh, take hits in their backs, feet, legs, and arms. Hugging the walls, Marion and Indy press close to avoid the beams and Jones asks her for her compact and then uses the mirror portion of it to deflect a beam at the door and melt the lock. Then dodging beams, they make a break for it. Indy has to uh, tussle with a Shintae that's standing guard, uh, but as they wrestle on the ground, Marion clouts the guy in the head with a club and off they go. MacIver, Vogel, and the remaining soldiers take advantage of the open door that Jones provided for them and return to the king's chamber. There, despite all warnings, Vogel attempts to wrest the main power crystal from its perch, setting his own men ablaze and triggering a catastrophic release of energies that ultimately bring the temple crashing down on everyone, and then it all goes off like an atomic bomb, just as Indy and Marion uh, scramble up a hillside to safety. Marion laments the loss of anything tangible to substantiate their little adventure, but Jones produces a trinket that he snatched off the guard that he had wrestled with when they made their escape from the laser room. It isn't much, but it'll make a nice conversation piece for the museum, and for Marion's news story. Now remember, she's uh, kind of playing Lois Lane girl reporter in this story. Together, they set out into the jungle for their trek back to civilization, while in the smoldering ruins, MacIver, singed but still alive, swears revenge 
on Indiana Jones. One day, Jones. <laughs> Next issue, Indy and Sala in Marrakesh. Don't miss chapter one of The Gold Goddess. I'm looking forward to that one. I remember liking that story a lot. And that's the story I, I was talking about a little while ago where, uh, you know, Michelini, he was great at just picking up little little pieces of things from from Raiders and expanding on them. And that's a line that's actually from Raiders where uh, when Indy gets back to the museum and he's talking with Marcus, he says, well, there's only one place he could sell it, Marrakesh. You know, I need $2,000. Mm-hmm. So that he's actually going to track down the uh, the idol from the beginning of uh, of Raiders, the the idol that Belloc took off of him with the um, what are those guys, the Hovitos, Hovitos, yes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So, what did you think of this the, issue, the Doritos? I love this issue. Yeah. Oh my God, this this comic is so so working against my memory of it mm-hmm. in so many ways because. Now the art's been improving. Now it still could go downhill. We could still have a crash. It could just be my memory of time, of the length of time it took it to crash. But in the meantime, I lo- this, this comic from the cover to the end is like... Remember how I was sort of trashing on the last Star Wars comic as being like generic 80s style comic? Right. This is like classic. I don't want to say generic, but it is sort of not really generic, but classic 70s style Marvel, mm-hmm. you know, mid to Very late much. 70s, yeah. like Conan the Barbarian yeah. and the golden era of, you know, the best illustrated Conan the Barbarian comics of those days where it's very traditional comic art. Uh, you know, and it is. It's a it, because this is a traditional sort of story. It's a it's a serial type of story, so it's got to be sort of timeless. And for, the cover looks like that. The artwork inside, the story, everything about it is that classic style, and it makes it just a visual. Yeah, the, whatever with the story. You know, I right. mean, as long as you keep the action going, that's what you want. It looks gorgeous, though, and it moves right along. And I say whatever with the story, but the story's got. I like what Michelini's doing. As a matter of fact, once again, Mr. Mr. Future, he, this story has a strong Crystal Skull vibe to Absolutely. it to me. Absolutely. In the, in the first part we had, it. well, first it's got Marion in it, and uh, the first part... It had um, a little uh, quicksand escape in um, in this one. The whole thing with the crystals really reminds me, and you know, with the natives who have sort of are the caretakers of this. Um, not really, fr- you know, the, these guys are like were kicked out of Atlantis for being assholes. Basically, is what they explained. They were like, we're the, they were like the dark scientists of, of Atlantis, and were pretty much asked to leave. So, they have you know this r- room with a round setup with crystals every few feet. That when the bad guys go and start messing with it, get they get fried. It, it's very crystal skull like scene, and then with the whole damn place getting you know, vaporized at the end, 
that scene of him and Marion up on a hill looking down into the valley yes. as the whole place just sort of goes up and then it's like, well, there's nothing left to that. Right, right out of Crystal Skull, except, of course, decades before it. Yeah. So once now, again... Which, which portion of Crystal Skull are you thinking of? You're thinking at the end when the water the washes end. away? I'm thinking, I'm thinking at the end where they go in and the, the, the psychic Russian woman gets fried by the... You know, instead that has crystal aliens, but they're all in a circle. And once you activate it, it starts doing... Right. You know, it's this, this, is a, this is more like... Um, it, it, it's or it's less like the Ark of the Covenant with something like, right, it, or or the alien one where it was like the aliens' vengeance. This is just like you turn the crystals and it screws up the alignment and starts shooting, right, shooting things around. But it's still sort of the same idea. It's like this ancient culture, crystals, no, I, the alignments get screwed up, and then the whole place just sort of collapses in on itself and is is gone. I think that's awesome because I too drew a parallel with Crystal Skull but for a completely different reason and I oh. think I think we're both equally valid because looking at the picture and I wish the pages were numbered but they're not but it's a full page splash page of Indian Marion on the hillside looking back at the mm-hmm. temple as it goes up the angle the valley, everything there is very, very, very close to the scene you're talking about where the mm-hmm. water pours in and wipes right. away all evidence. But the scene I was thinking of is the scene in Crystal Skull where Indy, after the refrigerator, walks up the hill and he's watching the mushroom cloud. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, I'm not an apologist for that movie. That's my I, favorite I, shot, no. that whole movie. That's my favorite piece of that entire movie. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of my favorite Indiana Jones film moments ever. Just Amen. the fact that I don't really like that movie. I like that part because I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful. I mean, that's classic Spielberg, that shot of Indy. You know, mounting the hill and and seeing the mushroom cloud. I just think it's beautifully filmed. It's, it's awesome, and it's like it's exciting. It's like seeing a guest star. It's like, wow, there's Indy with the atomic bomb. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's awesome. I really like that moment. But again, you know, that's yeah. It, to me, it's it's similar to like say Superman Returns in the airplane sequence. I don't really like that movie, but that's a hell of a sequence. It's the same thing with Crystal Skull. I don't really enjoy the movie that much. But I love the atomic bomb part of the movie. I think I, it's I like, I like that movie, and I love the beginning of that movie. I love the whole, you know, opening adventure part of that movie. Had me. It was it, maybe it's because. Well, yeah, that the reason would be when I was in the theater, I was just like, yes, you know, my my fears of old Harrison Ford were being. Uh, I was good. Okay, this is gonna work. You know, and I just loved the idea of it, and I thought it was was great. And then, yeah, and then that last scene of where he's looking at the mushroom cloud, and it's mm-hmm. gorgeously yeah. CG'd and, and so gorgeous. detailed, and, and it had that hellfire, realistic look to it. At the same time, the unreal look of probably what it would maybe be kind of unreal to be near a nuclear blast. And uh, yeah, I, that I I agree. That's my favorite shot in the whole movie. And like you said, it's one of the most amazing shots in all the indie movies. It's yeah, just majestic. Yeah, 
it really is evil at the same time it's beautiful <laughs> you know it's beautiful but it's an atomic bomb going off I Meanwhile, Indy's getting just radiated. Yeah. Uh, he's already had his kid by that point. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> now, I can't remember if I mentioned this before, so if I if I have, forgive me for repeating myself, but one of the reasons I think that, that really lends into my enjoyment of this particular story and, and this issue in particular is the art because I I'm struggling now to remember what my issues were with it back you know, when it was originally coming out and everything, because I don't remember enjoying this. But now what really, really makes me have, you know, a, a great fondness for it is the Carrie Gamble art. Because when John Byrne left Superman, there was, I think it was just one issue, one or two issues right after Byrne left where um, Mike Mignola came in and, and did a brief story. And then the regular artist for quite a while was Carrie Gamble. And I look at this and it's very similar to the work that he did on Superman, which I really, really enjoyed because I find him burn like, but without being just another burn clone or a, or a burn, you know, he's not so every once in a, yeah, he's burn like, but there's sometimes like in the, on the last page, there's a, there's a shot of Indy's face. It looks very burn mm-hmm. slash Austin. Yeah. Looking illustration, but that's just that one time. Uh, most of the time in here, he, he's sort of, you know, he, he's got his own look to it, you yeah. know? I do like it though. I really like it a lot. And I, I love, <laughs> I like, you know, he, uh, you know, just by the nature of how I synopsize and all, I don't always get to focus on little moments in here. But Michelini, again, like he did with his Star Wars stuff, he he's really good with the little comedic moments and the little comedic beats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the moment right toward the end of this, after the, the Nazi commander, he finally gets the crystal loose from its holder. And it's like he was so focused on getting the thing that he was largely, it seems like he was unaware of everything happening around him, that his men got vaporized. He crisping that, all his men. Yeah. yeah. He finally gets the thing loose, and after he does, he realizes, oh my God, the place is collapsing. And there's just a little moment where he thinks to himself, um, perhaps it would be wise to replace the crystal. And he's just thinking about that when a tusk, this giant tusk, falls from the ceiling and impales him on a rock. And it it like, gives him enough Ooh. time to think. A tusk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was cool uh, you know what this art reminds me of a little bit too like um, in a good way Prince Valiant and the weekly Sunday cartoon stuff the way or, or, or um, not as much Flash Gordon but the sort of from the 40s and 50s serial yeah. serial, serial Sunday yeah. ones that were like they they were a larger form like Prince Valiant, you know, where they would be like two or three panels. I, I'm just looking at the page where they break out of the room with the crystals using Marion's compact, and they're just running through the cave, and it just reminds me of that old style, you know, that of the, from the 40s, you know. I wonder what our uh, what our chances of getting Carrie uh, Gamble on the show might be. That might uh, that, that be might be great. an interesting conversation because I would like to know what his art influences are because i also see um quite a little bit of um mike zek 
in his artwork mm-hmm. too. Like say from around the time Zek was doing Captain America, I see quite a little bit in here. So I'd like to, you know, get it straight from the horse's mouth. What were his influence? Maybe, maybe I'll see if I can pursue that. The thing is, uh, at this point, I can't remember. I can't remember if we get any more um, Carrie Gamble or not. I, mean, I don't think this is his last issue, but I don't know because I know shortly we're going to start with the with the musical artist thing that right. uh, Michelini was talking about. I know that's not too far in the future, so I don't know. I'll have to look ahead. But one way or the other, I'd still be curious to talk to him and see, you know, what he has to say about you know his work on this. And and like I said, really like to know what his art influences are. I'm getting more and more obsessed with wanting to get the actual issues of this now in my collection. I'm going to be stalking eBay all the time for these now. Well, I saw where um, um, Dave Atterbury had posted something on Facebook that uh, he was, he had tracked down these issues and was following along. And, you know, I, I, I'll say it again. That's always so gratifying to me. When I hear that from people, you know, we don't get any sort of kickback or anything, which would be really nice. But it is just it's gratifying, you know, when when someone literally says, you know, I I went and checked out, you know, this book or this comic or this movie or something because you suggested that. I I don't know. It's just it it makes me feel good. You know what I mean? The power. (laughs) No, it's raw power. (laughs) You know what I mean? We control them. We control what they read, what they buy. (laughs) That's pretty much all I got on this one. I dug it. I thought it's a pretty good story. Once again, with those ones that are really good, there's not a lot to say about it, you know? It's funny. It's like, um, I think it was Scott Rifon who said when we did the interview with Michelini that it could have turned into the Chris Farley show. Which you don't watch a lot of Saturday Night Live. No, I got it, though. I I knew exactly what he was talking about. And so that's the risk of when you have an episode like this is just, or an issue like this is just going frame by frame going, this frame, I really like this frame. And this part, this part's really good. Which I think Michelini got enough Michelini. Now that I know, it's, you know what, it's hell now that I actually know how to pronounce his (laughs) name because I've been trained to pronounce it wrong all these years. So now I have to, like, correct myself every time because I know it. Right, and I can't just let it go when I when I say Michelini, but uh, <laughs> you know we, he 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 got his he got enough butt kissery last <laughs> issue, so I guess we should take it easy <laughs> with him. But you know he deserves it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we only scratched the surface with him last time. I I can't wait to get him on again in in just a wider comics um, context. Yep, and I think we could really have a lot of fun have a really interesting show i i'm looking forward to it absolutely Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hey Arnold, how's it going? Peace and tranquility to you. Peace and tranquility? When is when do you spout peace and tranquility? Ah, all hail the will of the mongrel. Are you of the body? The body? What are you talking about? You are not of the body. You are not of the will of the mongrel. You are an outsider. You must be punished, destroyed. All right now, Arnold, take it easy. I don't want to have to get rough with you. You are not of the body. You must be destroyed. All right, you asked for it, Arnold. Here it comes. Wow, that worked. Yeah, that'll teach you, pig. All right, I've had enough. I'm going to see Dr. Palpatine to see what this... Demonsicare stuff is all about, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. Meanwhile, behind the facade of a mental health facility, a Nabooian genius lurks. Hmm. All right, well, this must be the place. Uh, let me go in and uh, let's take a look around. Hello? Dr. Dr. Patine? Dr. Palpatine, are you here? Yes, hello. So... Where do you want me to sit, Doc? You get this weird-looking chair in here. Well, first thing you must do is you must remove your pants, sir. We are going to check everything thoroughly. I thought this was a mental health check. Why do I have to remove my pants? Well, we need to go in from the bottom up. The bottom up? Yes, very thorough, comprehensive care. Okay. Uh, do you have some place I can change? No, I will watch. Well, uh, hey, how come this... You know, this chair looks awful familiar. What's this plaque on the side here? It says, 
property of Dr. Simon Van Geek. Yes, that is the neuralizer, my friend. It will take care of everything. Neuralizer? Wow. I what? I don't think I should be getting in this. Yes, you should. It is very good for you to have a clean slate. So you just want me to get up in the chair like this? Yes. Ugh. Are you okay, Doc? You sound like you got a head cold. Came out of nowhere. Executed orders 66. What? 66? Hey, if it's not, if it ain't 69, I mean, I don't know what this 66 thing is. Once more, the synth will rule the galaxy. Hey, hey, stop pushing me in the chair. What are you doing? Hey, hey, wait a minute. Why are you taking your pants off? You want this, don't you? No, I don't. I can't get out of the chair. What? What, what the hell's going on here? Use your anger, boy. Boy, I'm 44 years old and I have three kids. I'm far from a boy. I'm a man. Mm, Dufo will teach you the true meaning of the Force. Dufo? Demonzo? Yes. Well, oh, God. All right, throw the switch. I guess if I'm not going to get out of this chair. Yeah, hit me with your best shot. Fire away. God, that's so cliche. We are quite safe from your pitiful little band. Release Molesterbot! No, 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 not Molesterbot! No, no! Use your aggressive feelings, boy! Strike down Molesterbot and join his place at my side! No, no, my. my. my name is. My name is. My name is. My name is Toby Tomazzo. My name is Toby Tomazzo. Yes, I see you have eaten many curries today. Thank you. Come again. Where is this all going? Tune in to the next Star Trek Monthly Monday to find out.